Chapter Four of the Riddle Ring by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four. Mr. Albert Edward Whaley. Conrad had, without the least excuse for any such conviction, made up his mind of late that a great career was to open for him in fiction. The adventure of the dropped ring, if we do not vulgarise his experience by naming it in the same words as those which describe the once familiar dodge of the London streets, had impressed him with the idea that he had a destiny in that way. So he was always looking out for the materials of a possible story. It was, of course, to be a good deal about himself, and he had some thought when he first came to Paris of showing up his false true love in a way that she and she only would understand, and so driving her on to a late repentance. But the finding of the ring had taken away his attention somewhat from that purpose of mere revenge. So he was looking just now rather to the outer world for his materials, and when he saw the newcomer get out of the carriage in the courtyard, it suddenly occurred to him that something might possibly be done with that newcomer. He was a little put out by the manner in which the newcomer acknowledged the courtesy of the proffered matchbox. Thanks, old chap, was the form of acknowledgment. I see you are a Briton like myself. Now, it is an extraordinary and indeed an altogether inexplicable fact that the most patriotic Englishman never cares to be set down in Paris as obviously and unmistakably English. So Jim Conrad only answered coldly, Yes, I am an Englishman. He did not ask himself why, as he had already condemned the other man to be English, the other man should not in his turn condemn him to be English. Couldn't do better, could you? Certainly not. Jim said, his native pride returning. "'Been long in Paris, sir?' "'Few days only,' Jim replied. He was not much in a humour to be talked to about nothing, and he did not now particularly like the ways of the newcomer. There seemed no promise in them now. "'Been here before, no doubt?' "'Oh, yes, several times. Was partly brought up here.' So was I. Lord bless me, what a raw lad I was when I first came to Paris. Well, we most of us begin Paris pretty early, Conrad said. He was rather softening. There was something good-natured and cheery in the sound of the man's voice. So we do, so we do. And the Americans too, don't they? I have often said to myself, what would Paris do only for the English and the Americans? I have sometimes thought, Jim said, that Paris would do a great deal better if the English and the Americans never came near her. No, you don't mean that. Ah, yes, I see now. Raising the prices and all that, and encouraging all sorts of swindles and dodges. Well, I dare say there is something in that, now that you call my attention to it. As a matter of fact, Jim had not called his attention to it, but he was willing to admit that his new acquaintance had interpreted his meaning fairly well. Yes, he conceded, I think that between us, the English and the Americans, we have done a good deal to spoil Paris. Lord bless us, you're quite right. Why, I am old enough to remember the court of the Second Empire, although you mightn't think it to look at me. 
and poor louis napoleon and de morny and all the lot of them gad sir the english and the americans were all over the place and i was very young then but i was in the swim of things i tell you and a jolly good time i had of it too i should not have thought you were old enough to remember all that i mean to have been in the swim of it as you say conrad observed looking with some interest at the man's youthful face clean-shaven but for a small moustache ha <laughs> bless you yes i'm in my forty-fifth year though nobody would take me to be so old and i began life so early that i sometimes feel as if i must be seventy-five or ninety-five but what's the odds so long as a man has a good time of it eh so i say at all events well it's a cheerful philosophy conrad observed as his new friend was evidently expecting him to say something philosophy lord bless you nothing of the kind not much philosophy about me it's my way that's all and i can't help it i tell you i've had a jolly lot of troubles in my time and i'm in trouble now at this very moment sorry to hear it conrad said you don't seem much cast down well where's the good of letting on but i don't mind telling you as you are a countryman of mine and the first englishman i have spoken to in paris this time and i like the looks of you that i am in trouble fact is i have lost my pal best friend i ever had dead conrad asked sympathetically no no not so bad as that i hope in fact he would be rather a difficult fellow to kill off he's so well up to everything but i don't know what has become of him and i want to find him and i've been about all sorts of places trying to make out something about him and i can't make out any mortal thing so far you have been trying in paris in paris oh no lord bless you he ain't here now i'm sure of that much no i've been trying to trace him through new york and san francisco and new orleans and sydney and oh well such lots of places i've been almost round the world hunting for him and everywhere i go i meet people who know him but no one who knows where he is none 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 where is he every chap asks me and i can only say it's no use asking me i came here to ask you and if you don't know i don't know strange isn't it conrad asked not however feeling any very deep interest in the inquiry strange well i should think it was to me anyhow i don't seem to be able to get on without him i don't seem to be myself without him i miss him more and more every day you were great friends friends lord bless you yes we were that and yet it was only because he was such a good sort of a chap that we were friends what was i only the gamekeeper's son and he was one of the family who owned the estate but they sent me to school with him and to college with him he learned everything that came in his way and i learned just nothing at all or so little that when i forgot all about it it didn't seem to make much difference in my stock of education but i could do a lot of things that he could do only he did every blessed thing much better or better anyhow than i could do it riding and shooting and skating and yachting and cricket playing and card playing and billiards and starting speculations and oh well all sorts of things we could do pretty well anything only he could do most things better than i and such a good-looking fellow too the pretty girls ran after him i can tell you he must have been a wonderful man conrad said 
smiling to himself at the enthusiasm of his new companion. There seemed something sincere, too, in the enthusiasm, which touched him in an odd sort of way. He began to wish that he could find himself admiring any human being quite as much as that. He was all that, said the admirer decisively. Well, I hope you will soon find your friend, Conrad said, and he threw some real sympathy into the tone of his voice. Oh, yes, I'm safe to find him somehow or other. Only what puzzles me is why he doesn't let me know. That was a puzzle out of which Conrad could not possibly extricate him, so he rose to say good-night. We shall meet again, I hope, the stranger said. I hope so. Conrad answered, more or less sincerely. Staying long in Paris? I don't quite know. It depends on things. So does my stay. I have a heap of things on hand. I'm thinking of going to London for a bit. You are staying in this hotel while you do stay, I suppose? Yes, I am thinking of going back to London, too. Back to London? Then, of course, you live in London. Yes, I live in London. Have you ever noticed? the newcomer asked, how every foreigner, everybody not English, I mean, if he hears of an Englishman, at once takes it for granted that he must live in London. Why should an Englishman live in London if he doesn't want to? They don't seem to understand much about our county families, do they? Conrad was rather amused at the idea. I must say, he admitted, that I have noticed that very often. Noticed it? Why, sir, I have found it everywhere all over the globe. You say to a man in Florida, in Melbourne, in Tokyo, in Brisbane, in Madras, in Cape Town, anywhere you like, I have come from England. And at once he says, oh, yes, you live in London. Why should I live in London? I ask you to tell me that. He was growing quite excited in his resentment at the idea of being set down as inevitably a Londoner. "'You come from Manchester, perhaps, or Liverpool?' Conrad insinuated, well knowing with what scorn both these great northern cities looked down upon the metropolis of England. "'Manchester? Liverpool? No, sir, not I. I come from the ancient soil of England, from the yeomanry of England. I am not ashamed of it, I can tell you. I am proud of it.' "'Quite right,' Jim said soothingly, and not altogether without sympathy. As a matter of fact, I am not a Londoner. I have been living in London lately, but I come from one of the counties. I am very glad to hear it. May I ask your name? Conrad pulled out a card case and handed him a card. It bore the name of James Pierpoint Conrad, 27 Clarges Street, Piccadilly, and Voyagers Club, St. James's Square, London. Voyagers Club? Yes, I have been there a good many times the stranger said. My old pal is a member of that club. Conrad, eh? Conrad, yes. One of the Conrads of Northumberland? Yes, a very humble member of that large family. A good North Country man like myself. I think I must have known it from the first. Well, look here, let's dine together. You are not going off tomorrow. No, not tomorrow, I think. Then dine with me. I'll take you to some first-rate place. Not that you mayn't know your way about Paris as well as I do, but then, good Lord, you are so awfully young. I learnt the art of dining in Paris under de Morny and Persigny and a lot. 
There's my card. Conrad took the card and read it by the light of one of the electric lamps close to him. It bore the name of Albert Edward Whaley, Manhattan Club, New York, and English Club, Constantinople. I come from Northumberland, too, Mr. Whaley said. Do you know how I got my first names? My people called me Albert Edward after the Prince of Wales. See the reason why? Well, I suppose loyal feeling. Loyal feeling, yes, to be sure, but there was more than that. Oh, there was more than that? Yes, to be sure. Our name was Whaley, and they thought I might as well have the loyal advantage of it. Whaley is very like Wales, don't you see? Yes, certainly, Conrad answered, considerably amused. I think you are quite entitled to all the honour that may come from the resemblance of the two words. Well, my people thought it anyhow, and as I was not consulted on the matter at the time, I can't be fairly accused of trying to bring myself any nearer to royalty than my humble state allows me to do. But never mind about all that. Will you come and dine with me tomorrow? Yes, with pleasure, Jim said. He began to be interested in Mr. Whaley, and indeed to like him. After the fashion of the would-be literary man, he satisfied his own soul by telling himself that he might make some copy out of his new acquaintance, Mr. Whaley. "'That's all right,' Mr. Whaley said cheerily. "'That's all right. You see, we are both from the North Country. I'll let you know the time and place tomorrow, and we'll have a good dinner, I tell you. Are you going into the billiard-room? No? Well, I am fond of a little game of billiards, and I'm not a bad hand at it. Mind you, I would not let you try a game with me if anything heavy was on. Oh, I can play fairly well, Conrad said, rather annoyed. Yes, of course, I know that sort of thing. You young fellows care more about poetry, I suppose, than about games of billiards. I don't myself. Grown too old, I fancy. Lost a hang of the poetic business, I dare say. Well, you won't come? Thanks. Not tonight, Conrad answered. Then the two new acquaintances separated. Mr. Whaley went to the billiard-room, and Conrad went to his bedroom, and stepped out on his balcony, and looked at the moon, and thought over all manner of poetic or half-poetic things, and, among the rest, of his false true love, and of the mysterious ring. End of chapter 4